Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunch, Brian Christopherson, here on Tuesday, February 7th. Gentlemen, it feels good to be back after... Uh, the longest hiatus I can think of uh, for for me. So I uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it. You guys had nice simple conversations. There wasn't someone cutting in to interject with some dumb point. Uh, I apologize. I didn't, I didn't listen to those podcasts. So maybe I'll. BC just looked up. He didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. <laughs> I, I I didn't expect you to listen to him. We're we're glad to have you back. Yeah yeah. Glad you're back uh, back in the fold. Uh, we just talked about old guy stuff, basically. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm 35. I'm I'm an old guy now, right? You're getting there. Yeah, we we talked about old man stuff. Um, I don't know. I I thought we actually kept it between the ditches pretty well. Okay. I mean, we didn't start talking about Seinfeld or pickleball or wind chimes or anything like that. So there was some wind chimes going on. I did I did learn of this. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> They they made quite the appearance in one of the podcasts based on the response I saw from people. So, yeah, uh, um, but yeah, I, I think we we did okay. I think without you, um, we we filled time essentially is what we did. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I'm the rug that ties the whole room together here, but I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, now now that I am back, let's uh, let's dive into some Nebraska recruiting and just kind of look back at what. Matt Rule did in his first couple months as Nebraska's head coach and what the staff kind of did. And you guys were, you were able to kind of finish it out all the way through that second signing day. I mean, if is it brunch, is it too simplistic? If I just ask you what's one thing you feel like you learned from Matt Rule uh, that, that you'll know sort of moving forward as you cover recruiting here, is that too simplistic? Does that give you too much to say? No, I it's interesting because, you know, we're kicking it forward to 24 and beyond right now. And it's funny to me when you start to make that list, like there's obvious 
prospects that Nebraska has targeted ahead of others. And certainly the seven in-state offers in 24 um, are, are towards the front of that line. But, you know, if you just kind of project out ahead, I mean, and, and kind of think about, okay, where are we going to be in November with, with this recruiting class? And in the back of my mind, I have Bryce Turner, I have Jeremiah Charles, I have Eric Fields. I have these guys who, you know, you, you have not, <laughs> you know, weren't even on your radar. Uh, and all of a sudden are quick commitments in Nebraska's class. I mean, Jalen Lloyd even, um, I don't think at this point last year would have been considered um, a, a potential Nebraska commit. So it's it's interesting to project out because I think you're, you're kind of building a body of information where, you kind of have an idea of what rule and the staff are going to look for, how they're going to approach things. And you're constantly like having to look into the weeds, I guess, to see if there's some kid out there running a 10 three um, that, that's going to catch Nebraska's attention. It's just so hard to know where those guys are as we sit here in February, because it's uh, you know, they're, they're going to evaluate, they're going to trust their evaluations, but um that's that's what I've learned is I think you can project to a degree what the class might look like when it's all said and done, but you also have to leave a pretty big space for filling in with just complete freak athletes. BC, I know you were able to catch up with quite a few guys in this class and, and certainly some of the ones that we didn't know coming into December, uh, guys like Vincent Carroll Jackson and and Jason Maziazak and, and guys like that. I mean, what was there an underlying theme to the type of player Nebraska seemed to be going out and and adding here in December and January? I mean, could you can you kind of draw some dots connecting to what it is that they were that they were doing uh, with with adding some of these guys? Well, it connects to what Bruns was saying, where I mean, if the measurables are there in track, Matt Rule's going to give a glance over there. Now you're going to have to have the film on top of that to back it up. But like Jeremiah Charles is an example of a guy who he caught through conversation that, Oh, this guy is triple jumping 47 and supposedly has done like 50 unofficially um, in a non-meat setting. Um, okay. That's interesting. Now let's see what else he can do. Then they go to his basketball game and he has four dunks, swats everything away in sight. And Evan Cooper's like, I see it. I'm going, I'm looking at the film. Um, I think that's a great story in a, that sort of encapsules encapsulates in like uh, 15 to 20 seconds when you tell it, like how open they are to prospects like that, that can pop out of, from nowhere. Um, and yes, they had a connection on that one with Bob Wager, but still, they uh, they took a leap there, uh, believing it's not as much a leap to them as it is to other people because they're saying, hey, this guy's got the data. He's got the athletic ability, and the film looks pretty good in one year. Yes, he's going to be raw, but we can build him up, and we believe in that. And I think what we've learned in the first two months is uh, what we knew about Rule at Temple and Baylor, we were kind of wondering, is he going to be the same way recruiting here at Nebraska? Do they do they sort of uh, change up things a little bit? I think they're the exact same. I think, I think they believe in what they did at those stops, and they're going to keep doing it. And I also think in the last two months, 
I know they're recruiting as a staff and everything is very all about the staff, but Evan Cooper, we learned a lot about Evan Cooper. If you think about it, like we're trying to figure out who this staff is when they first arrive and who's what Evan Cooper uh, is a right hand man of Matt rule when it comes to evaluation. And you can tell everybody in the staff believes when he says a guy's maybe got something, a prospect, they're like, okay, I'm, I, I, I've seen enough from Evan Cooper to know that his evals are good and they trust him. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that's come out of the last two months or whatever is as you figure out the staff, we know that Evan Cooper is a dude. He wanted to be Mel Kuyper when he was like 10 years old, writing, you know, like uh, reviews on prospects. And he's doing his dream of just evaluating guys and finding diamonds in the rough and all that. So um, I think he's been one of the most uh, intriguing storylines um, of getting to know the staff. Brunt, I, I didn't even make it five minutes in without a uh, mispronunciation. What did I do? Machachok. Uh, Machachok. Jason Machachok. He's, he's this is a, what, the third name that doesn't phonetically look anything like how it's supposed to be pronounced in this class? Yeah. I mean, but he's, it's funny. Like, Brian's point is an important one. Like, and, and Machachok's an, an interesting, and I think a good example of this. I mean, Matt Rule said this in his opening press conference that, you know, he doesn't want guys going to North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State that can help them. And, you know, they find this guy that camped at Nebraska in the summer and visited for a junior day. Um, oh, by the way, he rips off, what was it, 31 reps of 225 in the bench press after he signs with Nebraska. Um, you know, it looks like the type of guy that's kind of tailor-made for defensive line. I mean, it's with staffing decisions, with, um, you know, evaluations, with recruiting, with approach, with all of that. I don't, I don't think there's been too many things that Matt Rule has done as head coach to this point where I'm like, oh, that, that's not what he said he would do. Like, it, it's been very like, this is what I'm going to do. And he does it. And this is what I'm going to do. And he does it. And so, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, if I, I would expect that they'll probably go a little lighter on the portal going forward. And you're going to have a little bit more of an emphasis on, you know, developmental high school guys once they get things on the roster kind of settled to where they want the classes to be. And I, I like the aggression that they have with the numbers too. I mean, I, I think, you know, for as good as, you know, Mike Riley's staff recruited at times. I didn't think that they were aggressive enough with, with roster management. I think Scott Frost's staff was a little bit better at that. But I, I think you do have to kind of take a, a pretty aggressive approach nowadays with bringing in a bunch of guys and kind of letting things sort themselves out. And I know you have more of an advantage of doing that in the first year, but I think that's going to be another hallmark of this class is with the way that they build things, this staff at the way that they build things. What what should be the level of confidence in this staff in that development? Because it, it I guess what it feels like to me, and, and I agree with what you're saying, it is a lot of it lines up with how he spoke in that first press conference uh, in the first signing day press conference for sure. They it, it feels like they just really believe that they have the ability to not necessarily unearth athleticism because they they find that in those track numbers and in the data, but to essentially teach the game of football. Like that's, that's sort of what I've come away from this. And I'm curious where you guys are because this wasn't like a, 
you know, a cautious swing. They added 39 players to the roster. Like that's a pretty big chunk of your 85 man scholarship right there. My math isn't great, but that's almost half. So I, I guess what is your confidence in their ability to then, um, you know, not only with the guys like a Jeremiah Charles or a Bryce Turner or Jalen Lloyd, but the Prince Wills and the Riley Van Poppels and, you know, Demetrius Bell, players like that, that have a little helium to their recruitment. What's your confidence in their ability to get the most out of these guys, Brian? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point you raise. I mean, they've got to prove it here and now. I mean, whatever happened in the past, that that's what it was. But I do think you can look back at, you know, Temple and um, Baylor and you find a healthy list of guys. I remember like a month or two ago, I was doing a story on, on sort of guys they built up and developed it. it we're sort of on this subject of guys who maybe they weren't the biggest stars as recruits even, but now they're in the NFL or they made it to the league. And I'll tell you what, as I was doing that story, what stuck out was <clears throat> I didn't have enough space. Like they, they, they seriously had enough guys that I could have done you know, 25 guys um, and, and named them. And they all would have been kind of interesting. So I'm not saying people just got to like nod their head to everything and act like it's all solved because I think people are kind of tired of that around here. They want to just, they want to see, see it actually happen with their own eyes. But I do think <clears throat> there is data on these guys' resumes on this staff's resumes that shows that that has happened. And so that's what you kind of take your hope in if you're a Husker fan. Um, and also, I, I do think there's truth to the fact that maybe this is going on a side topic, but I like that they're looking at a guy senior film closely, and I know they were forced to do that uh, in this last class a little bit more maybe. But he was talking about how when he was with Carolina, how he would show up to North Dakota State or South Dakota State for their events, you know, because they had pro prospects who had escaped because they were either late bloomers or there's there's guys nowadays who are great future football players who don't get into it till their junior or senior year. We're seeing more and more of those stories. I think of like Vincent Carroll Jackson type guys who they didn't play it since junior high, but they have the body type for it and they are, were kind of meant to play the game probably. And, uh, you know, there's just a belief like if you can identify those guys who maybe weren't all about football until their last year or two, but now they are, and uh, they've got all the measurables, um, you can probably find some steals that other people aren't looking at because they fold up their classes by the summer or by, you know, certainly by November or December, whereas Nebraska was still trying to add at that point this year. Brunts, who was your favorite ad from Nebraska's standpoint after the first signing period? You know, I'll, you can go junior or not junior college, but you can go uh, transfer or high school. But like, let's say in January alone, what what player were you like? All right, I like what they did here. Um, I don't know. Probably the most. I'll go high school because I, I don't know. I think there's a few transfer guys that are pretty intriguing, but I, I thought Ismael Smith Flores was kind of the most interesting to me. Um. You know, it was kind of a flexed out tight end, bigger bodied kid. Again, fits that, um, you know, first year of football as a senior. 
basketball player. I mean, I, I think there's a lot that you can kind of go down the the list and, and you like what he can do. Um, he's going to have to develop. His dad was a hell of a football player at Iowa. So at least you've got that to go off of. But um, I, I think, I mean, that I don't know that there was a ton of hard work that needed to be done to secure his commitment, but I think he was an important one just as a, he's kind of like the perfect January ad to me. Like he had a good senior year. He's got projectable, projectable measurables. And, and, you know, I, I think as he gets more comfortable with football, he'll end up being pretty good. But, um, you know, especially with how Nebraska, I think wants to use tight ends, a lot of 12, some 13 personnel, um, that you need guys like that. And, you know, I I don't know that he's going to help you right away, but I think there's a lot of room for him to get on the field sooner than later, just based on how that tight end room is shaken out. What about you, Brian? Smith Flores is a good name to bring up because someone on our board posted, and he's right, people here would be freaking out if a Nebraska legacy, you know, at a position like he plays, like Iowa's known for tight ends, right? I mean, they've been so, I mean, they got some of the best in the league right now. And they saw him as a guy who was worth a scholarship and Nebraska won that fight. And I know they had the, the Wager connection there, but still that's a, that's a nice poll when they, when the guy's dad played there and, and the poster was right. People, if it were on the other foot would be kind of losing their wits about how they let one get away. If I were to throw out another name, maybe this is cheating a little bit, but he did announce, and I believe he announced in January, Ethan Nation kind of intrigues me as just a guy who, um, I mean, had a pretty good offer list. I know his his size is, he's a little undersized maybe to some. He's at, what, a 5'10", 165 type corner, um, but is just a great athlete and has a, a real confidence about him when he does interviews about what he wants to do here and what the program he expects it to do. And uh, I just think he's one of those guys I'd mentioned because I feel like people, the time that he committed and all that sort of people slid past it and moved on to other things and it got lost a little bit and I, I wouldn't forget about him. I, uh, I wrote about this in the, in the mash on Monday, but just looking over the names that I wasn't as familiar with, just adding a body type like Suo Lafotu was in Brunt's. I don't know if I pronounced that one correct. Either. Nailed it. I gave it, gave it my best shot. Uh, I, to me, it was huge. I mean, Nebraska's defensive line recruiting has really struggled. They have not gotten those space eater types since Damian Daniels. Uh, maybe this could be that. And he comes from a great program in California. Um, so I, I really like that addition. I mean, I don't know what happened with Washington. I don't know how his senior year went. Uh, I know we have him as a mid three star, but that's what Damian Daniels was. And I would continue to argue that when Nebraska was at its best in 2021 uh, on defenses, because Daniels was able to free up so many of their other guys at the second level uh, to, to go out and make plays. So they, they need guys like that on their defensive line to develop. And I think adding him late uh, could pay real dividends for Nebraska moving forward. I actually, Honestly, uh, this is a, a longer conversation for another time, but I really like what they have up front on that defensive line in this class. I mean, I, I like uh, some of these additions that we've seen. Obviously, I've been high on Riley Van Poppel throughout. Adding Prince Will uh, was great. Adding Vincent Carroll Jackson's really intriguing. 
Um, Suwa is, is intriguing. You know, I, I don't know if Chief Borders is going to be a defensive lineman um, or more of an edge. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But they – and then MJ Sherbin. I mean, they I feel like they gave themselves some real interesting pieces. Maverick Noonan. I, I just – from the front seven perspective of what they did on defense, more so the defensive line and, and the edge spots, I really like where things sort of sit for Terrence Knighton and Tony White and and um, Dvorak there, you know, as they, they kind of work forward with that group because I just felt like if you were going to draw the busy, busy, yeah, biggest example of, you know, some recruiting issues Nebraska had, it's, it's in that front seven um, defensively. They just didn't really feel like they kept adding pieces to it and they had to have those guys stick around for their COVID year because they were so thin uh, up front. So for me, I, I really like what they did there. You know, real quickly, is there a position group, BC or Brunts, where you felt like Nebraska really did some things in this class? I mean, wide receiver, they stockpiled some options and definitely got athletic. It's sort of, uh, I've mentioned this on here before, but like you could go through the list of like your Bryce Turner's, Jalen Lloyd's, you know. You could name off three or four guys. And if one or two of those um, hit early on as just sort of that guy who provides, maybe it's six or seven catches in his first season, but he pops up and he makes a big play one Saturday, you know, where it's a a 50-yard play. Uh, That would be a nice win as you're sort of bridging to the future at that position. And I feel like they've got some guys who – maybe there will be a, a person like that that's discovered throughout camp. So I guess receiver kind of really uh, interests me just by the, the makeover of that room. And obviously there's still, you know, Marcus Washington, Alane Brown and those guys, uh, but it'll be, it'll be full. They're going to need more chairs in there, you know? And so that's going to, that's going to make it pretty uh, interesting to watch in spring ball, how they're sort of sorting that out. Um, and I, I, I just like, the the potential there but it's it's still just that it's potential for from a distance too you know so uh that's where it's uh kind of interesting brunch you got anything wide receiver was what i i i do like long term what nebraska did at offensive line i mean i think you've got guys that you can really build around and bring up um I don't know. I, I, I really like Sam Sledge as a prospect um, and what he can be as, as an interior lineman, possibly center. Um, I don't know. And, and even with the offensive line group, I mean, getting Ben Scott as a, as a transfer, I think was a kind of an, un, a sneaky good win. Like, you know, I, I think he was probably headed to Auburn um, if not for a last minute change of heart. And for this season um, that, that picture looks a lot different. It's at, offensive line in part because he's there i mean that 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 just moves things around in various places in a significant way so i i, I would go offensive line probably i mean i, I think we're not going to really have the full report on that group for a few years but i i think uh i think they did they did, they did a good job of keeping the local guys home which they needed to do this is always uh, the most difficult question if it was easy you know you'd be really good at our jobs is there a Malcolm Hartzog to you in this class? Someone that, you know, maybe we're all sort of overlooking right now, 
but could play as a freshman. Um, you know, for Hartog, it ended up being a pretty sizable role at the end. Um, but is there anybody like that that comes to mind for either of you? You got one, Bruins? Uh, right away. Um, I was just going when back. It was the, the middle of the season. It was October for him. So it was a, you know, it was the last eight games, not necessarily the first four. Um, but it just, that's one of those guys that just strikes me as, you know, we can, we can talk about what we like and what we see, but there's always going to be someone that sort of surprises you early on. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you want to take a stab at that right now. Well, yeah, I think I'll Elvon- go ahead. No, you're, you're, you got one. Go ahead. I was going to say, cheat. Oh, yeah, is that you, you, you heard me say Al, Alvan, <laughs> Alvano. Yeah. I think he could be the kicker. So yeah, that's cheating. That's cheating. I, that's a tough question. I think the answer is a receiver. I go back to my previous answer because I think that's a position where one of those speed guys could just be like, he's running past people. He doesn't have to know everything but he knows enough to run past that guy and uh, catch a 50 yard pass on occasion. I could see a guy or two like that. I don't know who it's going to be. I guess uh, if I were to take a shot in the dark, um, like Bryce Turner, just really, I I did that. That would be great to, you know, to go with that. His whole recruitment, he was the first guy. And if he popped right away. Um, So I'll throw him out there. I was going to say Ramir Stewart, um, is a guy that I think people are sleeping on, but I think it could be crowded and tough for him to get on the field immediately. But who knows? You know, it's wide open with the new staff. I'm playing the playing the odds. So you you fig, you assume it likely has to be a guy who's kind of been on campus. Um, although I know Hartsog was a different situation. D- does Nebraska have enough at edge to where they won't have to look at like a Maverick Noonan or a Princewell or? somebody like that, because it, it feels like based on what Matt Rule has said, that if a guy's athletic enough, if he's impactful enough, um, I think that they're going to get a look in, in that defense. Um, so I, I would maybe choose from that pool of guys that, you know, maybe, maybe those two, maybe, a maybe an Eric Fields, somebody that that's a little bit of a different body, a little bit of a different, uh, uh, different look than maybe what they have on the roster now. I think that's that's where I would probably go for an immediate potential impact and a surprise impact guy. Yeah, I was thinking Eric Fields kind of fits all of this. A guy that just a uh, good senior film. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. Just kind of came on the radar a little bit late. Everybody that has watched him play speaks really highly of him. Uh, and just someone that I think part of it is that you just need to be able to go out and play. And I think that's something that, that Eric Fields can do, even if maybe he's not physically where you'd probably want him to be next fall. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if he's that guy. All right, we'll take a quick time out here. When we come back, we're going to dive into basketball with uh, Kese Tomonaga becoming a 30-point man. Uh, I think one of the, the more surprising 30-point performances in Nebraska basketball history. And uh, we'll we'll get in a little baseball preview as that season inches a little closer. Brunts, they keep taking commitments. Uh, they got another one this morning. Nebraska baseball did on Tuesday morning. So we'll, we'll learn a little bit more from Michael Brunts about what's going on with the baseball program when we come back. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. First, we will start with basketball. That was uh, that was a fun game on Sunday. It was... I, I wasn't sure they were going to be able to hold on to it. I wasn't sure how well they matched up with Penn State. But uh, from his opening jump shot, Kasei Tominaga said he, he felt like it could be a big game for him. And uh, he piles in 30 points. BC, what did you think of that performance on Sunday? And what did you think of Tominaga specifically? You know, for a team that's not going to be playing in the big dance, you have to have, like, some kind of individual fun storylines that pop up at this time of year. And uh, Tominaga is that because not only, um, you know, obviously the the point total speaks for itself, but he's just sort of got that, that, uh, that way about him uh, kind of exuberant, overly exuberant at times. He, uh, as Fred Hoiberg said in the post game, he was a, uh, busy raising the roof or something of that sort after one of his makes and uh, lost his guy on defense and they buried a three on the other end immediately. Um, so that's some of the stuff that, that maybe is connected to Tominaga, but you, you love his passion. And the thing that gets lost about him, and I know there's knocks on his game, but one thing you can't say, you have to say about him is that yes, he's a shooter, but he did a great job just cutting and get into the bucket like he had I think he had seven makes you know inside the layups basically because he was making great cuts and just playing off of each other well and um, so I thought that was really impressive and we can get into it more but I think Jamarcus Lawrence is like tied to a bigger picture discussion as you think about the Hoiberg era and like where does it go what's the hope you know um, Jamarcus Lawrence performance Honestly, the 11 points, nine rebounds, burying that big three in the last minute. 
that's probably as large as anything. Well, let's let's have that discussion a little bit then. I mean, Jamarcus Lawrence has sort of emerged as as kind of if you're if you're expecting Fred Hoiberg to be back, you think that's going to be a piece for them next year. We've seen a little Denim Dawson. I mean, uh, BC are there are there guys that you feel like you've you've seen enough glimpses from that that you're comfortable projecting that they could be important pieces for Nebraska if, if this were to return in 2023 and 2024? Yeah, I, I mean, I like Lawrence and Dawson. I think Dawson's going to be a, a very good uh, garbage man type guy. Like he just, you know, he does all that dirty stuff. And I, I, I really feel like if you gave him another year or two at the college level, that's going to be kind of fun, just the, the nuts and bolts stuff he can do. Um, obviously, they're going to have to – go out in the off season, if they get another crack at it and they're going to have to find that special score. You know, there's going to have to be somebody who just uh, can take guys one-on-one at times and be that guy that, you know, uh, can, can put, put the game on his shoulders offensively. Uh, that's what you worry about. But I guess the, the argument um, it's a pretty simple one. Some people are saying, well, Hoiberg's in year four and it's going to maybe be another losing season. So it is what it is. I've seen enough. Uh, they're not going to worry about the fact that some guys got injured and the other side of that argument. And I think it's a fair one, uh, or at least one that can be made um, is that he sort of reset before this off season, uh, whether you liked what happened previously or not, it happened. They said, okay, we're kind of changing directions and this is sort of year one of that reset. And uh, I liked what he did. I liked the roster they sort of assembled on the fly. And if a couple injuries didn't happen, I think it would have been pretty interesting around here. And so that's, I mean, that's your argument. Some people are saying, no, it's the whole picture. And some people are saying, yeah, I get that, but it's more nuanced. He's just, he, he reset this thing. And there is, uh, I see possibilities if they keep going in this direction and now that they know what they want to do, if they can hammer that home with the right type of guys, I'd give it another chance. I think that's that's where you're hearing the back and forth with people. Where where do you find yourself here on February 7th? I'm not a guy who likes pushing people out the door. That's sort of my nature. So I'm probably the I'm probably the reset. He they reset it and let's see what happens with one more season. But I I understand it's a bottom line business. And um, it's fascinating. On Sunday, there's no – I don't know if you'd find another place in the country. I'm not doing this to brown nose to Husker fans, but it's amazing when you actually think about it, like the attendance that they actually get for what they've done. And sometimes people take that for granted. Most places where they've had the records they have had, it's like 2,000, 3,000 people watching those games. And I don't know what it was on Sunday, but it was a good crowd and they were into it. And it's loud just, on TV. It just shows you like what it could be and like how you gotta gotta get this thing going. So I don't whatever it takes, whoever the man is, whether it's Fred or someone else, they gotta get this thing rolling because it would be so special around here. We've seen it, we've seen it in in glimpses, but if we had that consistently this fan base would go nuts over it. They would. It's not just a football crowd. They love They love all things Huskers. They love being a part of their success. And um, that's what that was what was interesting, though, is uh, 
Trev Albert's looking out at that arena on Sunday had to think like, man, I mean, you got 9,000, 10,000 people watching a 10 and 13 team still. Um, you got to feed this beast. Like, and uh, I said what I would do. I'd, I'd bring him back. But um, I understand that, that that's a complicated discussion, maybe. Sam Hoiberg or a, a fun story or something real behind it? I think he can be a solid guy that like is your like a depth option. Yeah. I think he, the thing I like about him is he's just confident. Like he comes in and there's some guys who you can tell are struggling a little bit with their confidence on the offensive end. Sam's not, he's like one of their top two or three most stable guys who feels like he's going to do something when the ball's in his hands. And I like that he, you know, he stepped up to the line on Sunday. Yeah, That was big. And it was in a precarious spot. It was a six-point game. They'd missed three free throws in a row. You're kind of like, are they going to be able to get this to the home base? And he knocks down two on a one-and-one one situation. And uh, I thought that was what kind of let everybody take a breath. It's like, okay, they can do this now. So uh, he's been one of their top two or three best players, if you look at plus-minus and all that stuff over the last four games or whenever he started getting thrown into things. Last question for you, and I know you wrote about it a little bit. I know Hoiberg talked about it a little bit. What have you heard behind the scenes about Ramel Lloyd? Uh, that was a guy that was brought in. I think there was some excitement about him. He obviously played with LeBron James's kid at Sierra Canyon, um, was regarded as a, as a pretty good basketball player. He's redshirting. What do we know about Ramel Lloyd? Well, what I can say is that on Sunday after the game, Hoiberg um, – he was sort of making a case within a question that was asked. I asked a question about Jamarcus Lawrence and sort of the big picture view of things. And he kind of went through the various guys and why he sees something happening as you would expect he would. And Ramel Lloyd was right in the middle of that, which was something I took note of because I do think there's people wonder like, okay, why is he not, you know, part of this youth mix? I know the answer at least publicly has been, that he's been working on scout team up until just like the last two weeks or so. And it would be a lot to sort of shift gears from what he was doing. I don't know, but um, I thought Hoiberg's answer for those who were paying close attention was pretty interesting after the game, as far as like Lloyd was very prominent in talking about um, future guys here. And so I, I, I don't know, take, take with that what you will, but it stuck out to me at least. All right, Brunts, you've been sitting on the sidelines for a little bit here. We're going to wave you in, shifting gears to baseball. Nebraska's first game is next Friday. They're playing in a tournament somewhere? They, uh, they're four games out in San Diego against San Diego. In the San real Diego. San Diego. The real San Diego. You have your flight ready? Are you heading out there? Uh, uh No. I, I will be watching on uh, WCC TV, which is a thing. Um, it's free uh, for for those who are interested in watching a lot of baseball. Like, but... Does that stand for wide closed circuit television? Or... <laughs> Basically, I, I think it's essentially somebody's iPhone, but it's free <laughs> and it's baseball. So uh, we won't uh, begrudge them too much. But um, yes, they, they start with four games at San Diego, looking to bounce back from a very disappointing season last year. Com not completely, but a pretty new-look team. Uh, we're going to see a lot of new faces in the lineup. Uh, a lot of new guys on the mound, too. Um, you know, the the 
big thing for Will Bolton and his staff was they needed to get older. They added some guys via the transfer portal, Juco ranks. Uh, they got Kyle Perry, Jake Buns, and Shea Shannon back as fifth-year players. So it, it's uh, the feel around the team is much different, and I think that's a good thing. That's something that they wanted to do uh, in the offseason because it, I think it got to a point last year where it was pretty clear that that things were not right in the in the locker room, uh, just in terms of you know how guys were playing, uh, just the feel around the team, and and it really wasn't where the staff wanted it to be. So they're gonna reset the deck and uh, see if they can have a little bit of a bounce back here. Who's a newcomer as a as a hitter, and who's a newcomer as a pitcher that you are intrigued by for the twenty twenty three season? Uh. Two pitchers of note, um, one, Jace Kaminska. He was at uh, Wichita State for two seasons, transferred in. was a freshman All-American um, and really good his first year at Wichita State. Uh, numbers took a little bit of a step back last season, but he's likely probably Nebraska's Saturday starter, I think, to, to start the season. I think that's where they, they picture him with Emmett Olsen on, on Friday night. And then uh, Caleb Clark, uh, a left-hander out of Canada, freshman um they've been really impressed with him since the day he showed up and i would expect that uh that first weekend he's probably your guy on sunday and you know potential potential weekend guy um with with really you know good stuff from the left side that they really like so those are two pitchers i think new ones to note uh at the plate I, I'll probably go with, with Dylan Carey. He's a, a freshman third baseman out of uh, Castle Rock, Colorado. Um, you don't often see freshmen go and play summer ball before they show up at Nebraska. And he was one of the best hitters in the Mink League in, in Iowa. Um, really big kid. Uh, looks like an SEC-type player just off the bus. And they've been really impressed with what he's been he's been able to do. I, th- I think he'll be your third baseman. Uh, they're moving Max Anderson over to second base this season full time. Uh, and, and and beyond that, I mean, I, I think they've got some guys that have been around the program that they're expecting to have really good years. And Josh Karen behind the plate's been really good um, at the plate. Efri Cervantes is, is hitting. Um, hit in the summer. Hit led, led the team in home runs in the fall. Uh, hasn't stopped hitting uh, th- this spring as well. So at the plate, it's going to be a little bit more familiar names, but they feel like they've got 12 or 13 guys that are potential starters. So um, that that's depth that they definitely did not have last year. All right. We're going to finish up the show with a very important NFL question given the week. I'm sure it'll be no surprise when I ask Brunt or BC, who's more excited, Brunt about Sean Payton? BC about Brian Flores as a defensive coordinator for the Vikings. I I would say I'm pretty excited. Um, you had an adult. That was one of those things that happened that I like came to two days later and was like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, it was like, I did super confusing to me. Yeah, no, there's an adult in the room now. Um, wow. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) You still have a, Maybe not an adult at quarterback, um, but that's. Is that a size joke? No, no, that was a. Uh, well, maybe is that maybe a little bit because his team is being banned from the facility. 
Yeah, just because he does high, just because he does high knees on the plane, he's not an adult. Yeah, that that that's like a toddler thing running up and down the aisles. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm intrigued. I, I think uh, there's some potential there, but um, I don't know. As, as until they can figure out the on-field stuff, it's uh, I have no confidence of them being better than the Chiefs anytime soon. I'll let Bruns have it. Uh, he's. I mean, Flores is a good pickup. I looked at the Vikings schedule and I've already convinced myself like, oh, six and 11. Like it's, uh, you know, because they get all the first place teams and they're playing the they're playing the Broncos, by the way. Yeah, they have in, a really fun schedule for in Denver. Uh, so they get the AFC West, which I have. A, I actually have a good amount of respect for uh, Brunson's division. So in, come, please. <laughs> We could all go out. We'll have to see when that one falls and uh, make a little voyage. It'll, it'll just be the opening weekend. We'll just leave the we'll leave Colorado, Nebraska, and just go over to Minnesota, Denver, just yep. right off the bat. Same week. They need to give us great. that. That would be awesome. That would be nice. That would be nice. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else to add. Is there, is there anything you'd like as closing remarks here? Glad you're back. Thank yes. you. I appreciate that. BT, you got anything? No, no. I I would uh, echo Brunson's thoughts there, um, and uh, we're happy happy to have this team. And uh, thanks everybody for listening as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I couldn't have said it better. For Michael Brunts, Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer. Be sure to check out Husker247.com. Plenty of coverage, even though the signing day is over. We are on to 2024. Nebraska does not have a commitment yet. What the hell is Matt Rule doing? What's going on? What's taking so long? We'll dive into some of those things and more at Husker247.com. And, of course, coverage of everything else, basketball, baseball, everything under the sun, spring football, just around the corner, all of that at Husker247. We'll catch you next time. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.